Thank you for that leading in, in worship. Uh, good morning, everyone. You know, as I'm driving up here from Madaktik, this doesn't count if you're timing my message. Like, you know, I'm an old guy. I'm in my 65th year of life. But you know what? I, I, I'm a little nervous. I've never been here before. I shouldn't say that. Uh, 50 years ago, I was at a teen retreat here. I do remember that. Well, well maybe 49 years ago. A while back, at least. So anyway, I'm thinking, what, what is it like up here? So if you're going into the ministry and, you're, and you get nervous sometimes, just remember you heard from a guy who's almost ready to retire. Now, everybody tells me I'm not going to retire. And I tell them I am. And uh, my wife tells me I am. So I am. So there. Anyhow. Uh, I want to say thank you to the staff and the faculty and the students. It's a great privilege. I, I have lived in Atlantic Canada all my life. First 30-some years of my life, I lived in Maductic, Nakawick area. I worked in the Pulp Mill for 10 years and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, but I, I, this is, as, as you were saying, uh, Mr. McMahon, is it Reverend or Mr.? Mr. Mr. McMahon, as you were saying, a best-kept secret of NBBI, and it shouldn't be. Anyway, uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Over the years, I've known a few of the folks here. Uh, John Hogue, I've known for 30 years or 40. I used to know Bob Dowie a long, long time ago. So I have known some folks here, but I never, ever get to come here. If I do, it's not very often. So anyway, I want to look at something that will challenge you, or I hope that it does, in Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to use the NIV version of the Bible. And uh, in Mark chapter 10, I want to read about a rich young man. We call him the rich young ruler, don't we? The rich young ruler. This in the Synoptic Gospels, he's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It must be important. He's there three times. And I, I got thinking, and I'm going to try to keep him going over time. The bell will ring anyway, so I'll know enough to get ready to stop. Um, a call to commitment. My kids at a, a Bible school should be committed anyway. Or maybe uh, the three questions of the rich young man. Or maybe uh, the three mistakes. And I was laying in bed a few days ago. And we were, we were going to have uh, the courageous movie in our church. And so um, I was thinking, what would be a good title? Uh, good Enough. Because later on that week, I was reading the synopsis of that movie. And one of the fathers was said, well, you're a good enough father. And he said, no, I don't want to be good enough. I want to be the father that God wants me to be. So, you know, as Christians, we can be good enough. Or we can say, well, God's enough that I can be all that he wants me to be. Anyway, I want you to think on that. Uh, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word our guide, our direction. Thank you, Lord, as we look into this, this narrative. been around for a couple of thousand years now. And what lessons there are for us. And Father, let my words be your words. Let me speak only the words that you want me to speak. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. I look up the word commit in my new Merriam-Webster Collegiate Unabridged Pocket Dictionary Revised, and the word commit means to entrust. And I've been thinking, what does it mean then <clears throat> to be really committed? You've heard the story. I hope you, you heard the story about the chicken and the pig. They're walking down the road, and they see a great big billboard, probably in front of Murray Grant's restaurant. <clears throat> anyway, it says, <clears throat> the great Canadian breakfast, ham and eggs. You heard the story? And the chicken sticks out his chest, and she says, uh, isn't it great to participate in the great Canadian breakfast? And the pig looks at the chicken and says, yeah, for you it's all right. It's just a day's work. But for me, it's total commitment. Are you willing to be totally commitment? We're having a young man. He has an appointment with destiny, with eternity. And all of you have that opportunity, and you'll be having it all your lives to speak with people that maybe you may be the one that calls them to an appointment to eternity. So I want to challenge you with an old quote. If anybody heard tell of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? You study about Dietrich. Oh, I love to see the hands going up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German Lutheran pastor, who in the Second World War, uh, he wrote in his book, get this line, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come to die. Now we can say when Christ calls a man, woman, boy or girl, he bids him come to die. But I want you to think of that when it comes to commitment. Here is Jesus, in fact, talking about dying. He's on his way to Jerusalem. In a few weeks, he's going to die. He's on his way there. And in verse 17, this, this young man comes running up to him. Tall, dark, and handsome. I can just see him now. Any girl would like him for a boyfriend, and, and any guy would like him for a good friend. Anyway, this young man, he falls on his knees in front of Jesus Christ. At, at last, he has found this, this rabbi, this great teacher. He's heard about him for years. And now he's here. And I, I can <clears throat> just see it. In his voice, there's an eagerness, there's an anticipation, there's an excitement. I've got all of these questions, and now I finally have the one that I can ask those questions to. And so here he is. We come to our first question. Verse 17. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, for sure, Jesus is a good teacher. I mean, he's superlative. I mean, he's no parallel, for sure. But this young man makes his first mistake with his first question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And you know as well as I do, almost every person you meet who professes to be Christian will tell you what you have to do to be saved. You've got to do something. And you and I know different. It's not baptism or putting money in the offering plate. They're both a good idea. Or attending church or doing good things. Those are all good things. However, none of them give eternal life. So already... With his first question, this young man who has lots of questions already has made his first mistake. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? The rabbis, I'm told, according to the commentaries in Jesus' day, didn't want you to call them good. Only God, he's the only good one, and that's what Jesus says too. Only God is good. And Jesus says, well, you do, you know the commandments. And so here we have the young man confronting Christ. He's confronting the word of God. Now, I don't know a lot about Jewish teaching. I know they got all kinds of books and thousands and thousands of years old, and they certainly don't think the way that we do when it comes to salvation. But we have here a, a young man who's come to Jesus Christ and is calling good, and Jesus already said, well, I'm not good, only one is good, so either Jesus is God or he's not good, and if he's good, he must be God. So this young man, just early on in the conversation, think about it, because Jesus doesn't waste his time in religious philosophy and all kinds of theories and thoughts. And, and this young man probably thought that he could do whatever had to be done. How many dragons do I have to slay? 
How many fair damsels in distress do I have to rescue? What do I have to do? Because he knew that he probably had the abilities if anybody had them. Because he's this rich young ruler. He had everything going for him. He just wants a little direction or at least a little advice from a good rabbi. What heroic acts can I do that I may inherit eternal life? In the book of Matthew where you have the parallel passage, Jesus says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And so we come to the second question. And if you turn back to the book of Matthew, the other parallel passage, Matthew chapter 19, in verse 18, when Jesus says, obey the commandments, he says, which ones? That's question number two. Now, here's your quiz. What was question number one? Good. You aren't supposed to answer. You know the answers. <laughs> That's okay. okay. I heard students say it, though. What must they do to inherit eternal life? Question number one. You got it wrong. Question number two. Which ones? All of these commandments. Now, am I right in saying, can anybody help me out here? Oh, Mr. Hogback, can you help me out? Uh, the Jews had 613 commandments. Am I right in saying that? Okay. They had a pile more than we did. Every one of their, we have 10. Like, they added so much. It was in the hundreds and hundreds. You can only go far, so far on the Sabbath day, Sabbath day journey. If you were a woman, you were not allowed to look in the mirror on the Sabbath. Did you know that? You might see a gray hair, and you'd be tempted to pluck it out, and that would be considered work, and you can't work on the Sabbath day. Did you girls know that? Keep your hair dyed. Anyhow, you, 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 I shouldn't have said that. But, but all of those kind of things. And by now, the, 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 the wind has gone out of the sails of this philosophical young man, he's being confronted by Jesus Christ. And, you know, Jesus doesn't waste his time. He's on his way to die in Jerusalem. And so this young man, he's saying, just drop your questions and be obedient. How often does Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I believe the rich young ruler realizes by now that he's being confronted by the word of God. So how does he get away? Well, which commandments do I keep? After all, we've got 613 of them. Or even if we only have 10. But what do you and I do with those commandments? Well, they're Old Testament stuff. Do we rationalize away or even rebel against things we know we shouldn't do? I was driving up this morning and I didn't want to be late and I was driving along. Boy, it's easy to go over 110 kilometers an hour. Be breaking the law. I'm not supposed to do that. As a Christian and as a Christian leader, I shouldn't break the law. Uh, last Sunday morning, I have a Sunday school class of young teenage boys. And uh, we have a class in, in my church in the basement. And I was going through this movie I wanted to watch. And it said something to the effect, you've read it before, you shall not let this movie be watched in church or other places or we'll fine you $100,000 and throw you all in jail. You've seen all of those kind of things. In other words, you aren't allowed to show those movies unless you pay for the right. But it also says you can show it at home. I said, okay, it's going to be a bother. I live 40 steps away from the church. So I invite the boys over to my place to watch it. It wasn't right for me, if I was going to be honest, to show that in the church. So I went home to my basement. We had a great time. But you know, I could have just shown it in church anyway. But the thing is, I wouldn't have been doing right. My, my integrity would have been compromised. And how many of those things, whether they're speeding or what it might be, little white lies, do, do we allow? Like, keep the commandments, Jesus says. And so uh, and he asked, well, which ones do I keep? Which ones do I focus on? And so Jesus lists them all off. Here they are. There's, there's uh, six of them, or seven, six, I think, listed here. Uh, all of the commandments that are on the second table of the Decalogue, Jesus lists them all off to this young man. And then the young man said, well, I've kept all of those since I was a boy. That's his second mistake. 
Now, I don't think you and I would say that. I've kept all the commandments. Now, obviously, I could be wrong when I say obviously, in Jewish thinking, he really believed that he had kept all the commandments. But go back to the focus again. When Christ calls a man, a woman, a boy or girl, he bids them come to die. Of all of those commands on the second table, Jesus left out number 10, which says, thou shalt not covet. Now, in North America, it's hard not to covet. Things are what runs this planet, folks. Things, all kinds of things. Why do we have a recession just a few years ago? Because we were so greedy to have so many things. It's hard not to want to have things. We live in a, a gimme generation. I don't know about kids your age, but boy, I'm overwhelmed by the kind of things, of course, I've been around almost 65 years, that people can have. Now, remember, this is a rich, young man. Now, he never rode an airplane, let alone, or an elevator for that matter. He never had a, a Corvette or Mercedes-Benz. He never watched TV on a great big 56-inch screen. He never had a computer, never had an Xbox or an MP3 player, and, and yet we call him rich? If he's rich, what are we? If, if he's considered a rich man. <clears throat> but by now, when Jesus lists all of these commands that he should obey, and he answers, well, I've kept them all since I was a boy. So what's wrong with his answer? Outside the fact that his answer was wrong. Doesn't Jesus, isn't Jesus really saying to this young man, be obedient, come and follow me. That's the bottom line for you and me. Not to worry about all the commands and the rules, whether it's 613 or 10, but Jesus says, come and follow me. Get out of the box. Live a life that is different. Live one for me. Uh, I notice your, uh, your theme here. Where did I see that? Study. That's an old, good old one verse, isn't it? Study to show yourself approved unto God. Workman who needs not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And here you are, you're rightly dividing the word of truth. So what do you do once you rightly divide it? See, the rich young ruler, uh, he could have said, Hey, Lord, I'll see you on church Sunday morning, and I'll take the other 167 hours a week, and I'll live for myself. But Jesus says it's it's this 168-hour thing following him. Totally sold out to him. Doesn't he say, it's in Luke chapter 9, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. Take up his cross daily. Obviously, it's day after day. It's day after day that we're hit with that. Anyway, we've got to move on here. Times times are fleeting. So anyway, we see two questions. We see two mistakes. And it says in verse 21 that Jesus looked at him and loved him. I want you to think of this. I want you girls think about this guy. I'm guessing, being typical Semonite, he would be a Semite, he would be tall, dark, and handsome. A really nice guy. Now think about this guy. He's the kind of guy that any girl would like to have for a boyfriend. I'm sure he would be. There's something about his personality, too. It says that Jesus loved him. Now help me out, guys. Does it say anywhere else in the Bible that Jesus loved somebody like he did this guy? Does it say it? How come it says it about this guy? He must have been so charming. He must have had such a great personality. That, that Jesus just loved this guy. And of course, Jesus loves everyone. But here we have this particular guy that, that Jesus just loved him. So after, after he said to Jesus, I've kept all those commandments, he, has, he asked his third question. And again, go back to Matthew chapter 19, if you would. Matthew chapter 19. And I want you to take a look at verse 20. Matthew 19 and 20. 
What do I still lack? King James, what lack I yet? I mean, there's something missing. There's something missing in my life. Oh, I, I'm, I'm doing all the things that the law says I'm supposed to do. I'm keeping all 613 commandments for whatever the mount is. I, I, I'm doing it all. And yet there's something missing in my life. And how many Christians say the very same thing? They may not say it out loud, but they're feeling, isn't there more to life than this? Isn't Christianity, where is that joy unspeakable and full of glory? Where is that peace that passes all understanding? Isn't there something more to life than what I have? In John 10, remember Jesus says, I'm come that they may have life. And IV says, have it to the full. King James says, I have it more abundantly each way. Where is it? <coughs> so the rich young ruler, being very honest here, what do I still lack? What's left? He's got everything, folks. Today, he'd be the typical yuppie who has, I suppose, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, whatever, big house and, and two cars and all of that stuff. And yet he's not fulfilled. What, what's wrong with this guy's life? He said he's kept all the commandments. He's done all the good things. What lack I yet? Well, you know what the answer is? Well, you see, we read it ahead of time. It's like, you know, Paul Harvey says, now we'll tell you the rest of the story. And so Jesus tells him, getting back to Mark chapter 10. Oh, Jesus says to him, just one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Wow. Now, is he saying that to you and me? Because I, I have debated this all my life. Years ago, I sold everything I had. So I go into ministry. Sold my house and left a good paying job and all that sort of stuff. And for a little while, I was like, like what Jesus said. Didn't have anything. But boy, it grows and it grows. So did he really say that? Did he really mean that? Do we contextualize that and say, well, that was just for that guy. That doesn't really mean me. Remember back in John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. How many believe you must be born again? How many believe it? Oh, i got a few holdouts. Come on now. Don't you all? Come on. You all believe it? I am very enthusiastic this morning. How do you get them going? Well, of course we believe it. The same one who said, you must be born again, says this. So what does it mean then? If it doesn't mean go and celebrate, what does it mean? It's got it's to mean something to us today, doesn't it? It's here, like I said, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's got to have some kind of a meaning. Are there things in your life that stand between Christ and you? Anything at all? Regardless of it, what it might be, whether it's material or whatever it might be, if that stands before, between you and Jesus, get rid of it. Remember when Jesus said a, a person's life doesn't consist in the th- abundance of things he possesses. What does life consist of then? Like you and I, that's how we, that's how we judge people. You see so-and-so? three-car garage, all that sort of stuff. And that's how we judge people. But Jesus said, no, that's not what a man's life's all about. So what lack I yet? See, in lacking one thing, he lacked everything. He didn't own his possessions. His possessions owned him. What do I lack? So Jesus tells him, you got too much. You got to get rid of all of that stuff. So what does that mean to a bunch of students who probably don't have much of anything, probably just getting by in, in some case, I'm sure, with almost nothing. What does that really mean? To be totally committed. To ask the same question. What do I still lack? And of course, it's total commitment to Christ. We live in a world that wants to compromise everything. We live in a world that says you don't really have to be sold out to Jesus or anything else. You can get by on just being good enough. When really God is enough. And you've heard this before. And I don't want to beat you up. But I want to encourage you. You need and only need what Jesus Christ says you need. 
Total commitment to him. The Bible says, though your riches increase, set not your heart on them. Boy, it's hard not to. I'm remodeling a house in Canterbury. You know where Canterbury is? It's a gate. Oh, look at the hand there. It's a gateway to the lakes. It really, it's way out there beyond civilization. You know, it's so far away, you have to walk in two miles to go hunting. The sunrise is out there, I think. Sometimes. Anyhow. And we're moving out there, my wife and I. Since my, since my ancestry goes back there, I'm related to more than half the people out there. But what an opportunity to evangelize. You know, we're wanting a little house there. And everybody says to me, I kid you not, what are you going to Canterbury for? Isn't that something? Why, why would you go there? I mean, after all, you're done ministry. You don't have to go way out there to spend 25 or 30 years, whatever God gives you, to try to reach your relatives after you're retired. You don't have to do that. Anyway, I have a poem for you. I'm almost done. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Real service is what I desire. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord, but don't ask me to sing in a choir. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I like to see things come to pass, but don't ask me to teach the girls and boys, dear Lord. I'd rather just sit in my class. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I yearn for the kingdom to come. I'll give you my nickels and dimes, dear Lord, but please don't ask me to tithe. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll say what you want me to say. I'm busy just now with myself, dear Lord. I'll help you some other day. Now, none of you would be like that, would you? None of you. Or you shouldn't be. You're you're being taught here, and I I know it. I know you're being taught to give your all to Christ. Now, I just want to encourage you, only way to live. I lived for many years for me. And I I mentioned earlier, I was an atheist, total non-believer, had everything I wanted, and there was something missing in my life. There was something... I just didn't have it. I had all that I wanted, materially, had her made. But I didn't have Christ. The only one thing I needed. pastor came to my house one day, many, many years ago, and he laid it on the line. This is what you need. And you know what? The first quarter of a century of my life, I lived for me. The last 40 years, I've lived for him. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I, I wouldn't trade it. I, I know that I'm where God wants me to be, and it's where I want to be too. He wants you and I to... Total obedience, sacrificial relationship, all of those sort of things. And he promises, I won't go into this, the, the next few verses here, our time's almost up, but in verse 23, no, in verse 22, this young man went away, sad, it says in the NIV. But so was Jesus. He didn't go away mad, he went away sad. He knew that Jesus was right. And you know, Jesus was sad too. You know why? Jesus knows the reality of hell. People don't talk about hell too much anymore. But Jesus understood the reality. And we never hear this rich young ruler again. Do you suppose, this is very sad, do you suppose he spent the last 2,000 years in hell? Suppose he has? Suppose he's still there? Pretty scary thought, isn't it? Unless he came back to Christ. We have no indication anywhere that he ever did. That's where he is. 2,000 years. Somehow, I don't think material possessions are worth it. He had wealth in his home and leanness in his soul. And Jesus says, let's have it the other way around. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, when Christ calls a man, he didn't come to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that Lutheran pastor, was in the United States in the 30s, pastoring in a black Baptist church. Can you imagine? That'd be a lot of fun. Anyhow, he felt he had to go back to Germany. He felt he had to go back home. He knew a war was going to start. And he got back to Germany, and he became involved in an assassination plot against Hitler. They were caught. He was put in prison. And they didn't dare to kill him. He was like the top theologian in the whole place. But in April the 15th, I believe it was, 1945, 
They executed him. He died for what he believed in. He believed that Hitler had to be stopped. And he was one of the very few Christian leaders who even took a stand. Very few they did. He was one of the few, and it cost him his life. Are you willing to take that kind of a stand? That's what God wants from you. You want a life that's fulfilled? You want a life where you have uh, the abundant life? You want to have that joy and that peace and all of those things that Jesus offers? It only comes when you're totally committed to him. Well, I'm done. I'd like to pray, though, if I could do that. I guess I have a minute left. Uh, I do. Almost a minute. I want God to seal these thoughts in your heart. Heavenly Father, you know I didn't come here just to say a few words. In all humility, I pray I've spoken what you want me to say. To challenge these precious young men and women and to encourage them. Going into ministry today is tough stuff. I believe it's harder in North America than it's ever been. That's why we need total commitment. Pray, Lord, for these these precious young people and their leaders, their staff, and their faculty. And, Lord, uh, not only the word blessing, but the word encouragement for them. Gracious God, I pray that you'll take these words and uh, that they'll encourage every one of us to be the kind of man, woman, boy, or girl you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.